Romans 5, 1 to 11. We're told that uh, because we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We stand in his grace. We stand under his favour. Know that he, we know that he uh, accepts and approves and delights in us as his children. Because of that, we rejoice in hope. Uh, we have a future that is secure and positive. Um, and because that's because our hope is fixed on the glory of God. It's not fixed on ourselves or what we might uh, want to achieve for ourselves, but um, our hope is fixed on God himself and the security that he gives us. Um, in that, we also know uh, a joy even in suffering because we're told suffering produces character through suffering uh, so suffering produces character uh, endurance actually I missed an arrow out there suffering produces endurance endurance produces character and character produces hope so we, we have that sure hope uh, through whatever whatever we go through whatever we face in this life we know that hope is secure uh, and all of that is built on the bedrock, the foundation of the love of God demonstrated in Christ. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were even enemies, Christ died for us and we have that, that sure foundation of the love of God for us that he has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Suppose for a moment that Paul had said, since we are not justified. What does life look like without knowing this justification by faith? Well, instead of peace with God, there's hostility towards God. And that may be expressed in open hostility or it may be that we just live our lives ignoring him, pretending he doesn't exist. But we also stand, instead of being under his favour, his grace, we stand under his wrath. And those two things mean that we live a life without hope because uh, all we can live for then is our own glory instead of the glory of God. We just live for this life and what we can try and get out of this life, what we can achieve in this life because if we think this life is all we've got then we have to make the most of it. What does that mean then for suffering when we face hardships in life? Well, Suffering might build a sense of character in us, a sense of strength or a resolve to keep going and to make the best of things. But in the end, it's a dead end because it all ends in the grave. And unlike the picture we saw earlier, there's no foundation to this kind of life. There's no security. There's no bedrock. Um, all we have is just a wishful thinking that life will turn out for the best for us. But it all ends in the grave. Now verses 12 to 14 of chapter 5 tell us that this is the picture of humanity because of Adam. Adam, the first man. And when we think of Adam, uh, we know the story includes Adam and Eve. Uh, this word Adam... Uh, it doesn't just refer to the 
the man, the male, uh, but it's a word that in Hebrew means also humanity. So uh, when, when the New Testament speaks of Adam, it's bundling together in Adam, both Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. We're told that death has spread and death reigns over human beings because of the sin of this one man, Adam. There are two groups of people in this world. You can boil down all of humanity into two categories, two groups of people. Those who rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because they know they are justified by faith and those who are in Adam over whom death reigns. Thomas Goodwin was a, an English Puritan. He puts it this way, and this, this quote I think should be printed in your handout. Uh, the English is a little bit old-fashioned because it was written in the 1600s, but hopefully we'll get the idea here. Adam, as you all know, was reckoned as a common public person not standing singly singly or alone for himself, but as representing all mankind to come of him. So as by a just law, what he did was reckoned to his posterity whom he represented. And what was by that law threatened or done to him for what he did is threatened against his posterity also. Now, this man was herein a lively type of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you have it, who was the type of him who was to come, verse 14 of our passage. He speaks of them as if there had never been any more men in the world, nor were ever to be for time to come, except these two. And why? But because these two men Between them had all the rest of the sons of men hanging at their girdle because they were both common persons that had the rest in like though opposite considerations included and involved in them. Adam had all the sons of men born into this world included in himself who are called therefore earthly men. And Christ, the second man, had all his elect who were who are the firstborn and whose names are written in heaven and therefore in the same verse are oppositely called heavenly men included in him. Now I said the English there is a little bit old fashioned and maybe a bit unclear but what Thomas Goodwin is suggesting is that Paul is asking us to imagine all of humanity being represented by these two men. Adam and Jesus. Every human being who was ever born was born in Adam. Or as Goodwin puts it, hanging on his girdle, hanging like he's hooked onto Adam's belt. This means that whatever Adam does, wherever Adam goes, we are with him. We participate in him. And in saving us, the Father has 
unhooked us from Adam's belt and hooked us instead onto the belt of Jesus so that we are instead in Christ. Now, whatever he does, whatever Christ does, whatever wherever he goes, we are with him and we participate in him. Theologians use the term original sin to describe this relationship of being in Adam. The term doesn't mean that we are unfairly blamed or punished for the sin that Adam committed. It's not that God said, well, Adam ate the fruit and I'm going to punish every human being from now on for that one sin of eating the fruit. It wasn't the original sin, the first sin that this phrase means. But what it means is that every one of us is just like Adam. in that Adam perfectly represents us. If we were in his shoes, we would have done exactly the same as what he did. And so the term original sin means our origin is in sin. We are born sinful by nature because of our identity as sons and daughters of Adam. We are in Adam. So what's the result of this? Well we're told, verse 14 of chapter 5 Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. By sinning, Adam submitted himself to a cruel tyrant. He submitted himself to uh, another master instead of to God. And this cruel tyrant he submitted himself to was death. It's exactly what he was warned of. When God said to him, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God in his kindness, warned him that if he did not obey God, he would by default be obeying someone or something else. And he said that kind of obedience, that's not obedience to God, is only going to bring death. So all of humanity is hooked into the belt of Adam. All of humanity follows in Adam's footsteps. Someone once said, when Adam sinned, the whole human race stood up and applauded. But because of that, through Adam, the power of sin and of death has held us captive. But look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Imagine for a moment that you have booked a cruise across the Pacific Ocean. At the time of booking, it struck you that 
the tickets were very cheap. Seemed like a, a deal that was too good to be true. When you arrive at the harbour, you see the ship. Now you know why the tickets were so cheap. Who would like to get on the ship and take a cruise right across the Pacific in this ship? But then you're told, we're happy to offer you a free upgrade to one of our slightly newer ships. Please let us know if you'd like to accept this offer. Which ship would you choose? Would you choose to go in the old ship and say, well, I'll just hope for the best, cross my fingers that we'll make it across the ocean safely to the other side? Or will you say, how could I refuse this offer of the biggest, best ship in the world and to get into that ship knowing that this ship is so big there won't even be the rocking of the waves. So, Xu Kong, he doesn't have to worry about getting seasick. <laughs> will you be in the old ship like Adam or will you be in... The, because wherever this ship goes, you will go because you are in it. You'll be in fellowship. Yeah, thanks. Daryl Teague's daughter there. Um, see, we're not, you're, and you're not called to, to follow the ship. You won't be swimming in the water trying to keep up with the ship. You won't be, you're not called to follow this ship's example to be like the ship as hard as you can try. No, you're simply called to be in the ship. And if you're in the ship, wherever the ship goes, you'll be there too. This is the way in which the free gift is not like the trespass. Being in Adam or being in Christ are not two equal but just different options in life. The free gift of life in Christ far surpasses in power the wages of death that are in Adam. The grace of God in Jesus will always overcome the power of sin and death in Adam. And so when the Father takes hold of you and unhooks you from Adam's belt and hooks you onto Christ's belt, the new life that you find in him is like a luxury liner compared to the shipwreck that is Adam. Here's the contrast that Paul makes from verses 15 through to 21 between being in Adam and being in Christ. This is so important for Paul. He could have just said it once but he says it over and over again. In Adam, one man's trespass meant that many died. Judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. One man's trespass through that death reigns. Through one trespass there is condemnation for all. Through one man's disobedience many 
are made sinners. And so through Adam sin increased and sin reigned in death. That's the shipwreck that is Adam. But look at the luxury liner that is Christ. By one man's grace there is abundance for many. The free gift following many trespasses in Christ brought justification. The one man Jesus Christ, in him we reign in life. Because of one act of righteousness there is justification and life for all. And through one man's obedience many are made righteous. And so in Christ where sin increased in Adam, instead grace abounded all the more in Christ. Whereas in Adam sin reigned in death, now in Christ grace reigns in righteousness leading to eternal life. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Now last week I said the start of chapter 5 marks the start of a new section in Romans in which Paul begins to unpack the implications of justification by faith. For the person who hears and receives the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now so far this may have sounded just like theology without implications but there are two implications I want to bring out. One of them explicit and the other implicit in this passage. Firstly, this idea that he mentions in verse 17 of reigning in life. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What does this mean, to reign in life? Well, um, this idea of reigning of believers reigning uh, appears a few other times in the New Testament particularly in Revelation so Revelation 20 blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years what is this first resurrection? Well, the first resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus himself in which we now share by faith. This resurrection life uh, involves the high calling of priesthood. They will be priests of God and of Christ. Being a person who is a representative of God to others and who is used in bringing other people into the presence of God and knowing his forgiveness and grace. Later in Romans, Paul describes his work of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles as the priestly service of the gospel of God. He mentions a thousand years there. That refers to the time in which we live now, the time between Jesus' resurrection and his appearing, his coming at the end of this age. And as we live and proclaim Christ in this age, we do so with the joy and the assurance that the second death, the death of our body, that the end 
of our lives no longer has any power over us. The fact that one day you may be here in this building not sitting in a pew but lying in a box at the front at your funeral, that no longer defines or shapes your thinking or your living because death, the greatest of our enemies, is defeated and so we can walk victoriously in life. Then in Revelation 22, John's vision of the new Jerusalem. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will not need light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Well, what does reigning mean here? Like the vision of the thousand years in chapter 20, the New, new Jerusalem, the, the city here, is not talking about geography, it's not even talking about heaven or even the new creation in the future. The city here is the people. It's us. This is an image of what it means to be a member of the people of God, the true Israel, or as we saw in chapter 4 of Romans, the true children of Abraham. So what defines life in this city? Well, there's the healing of the nations because in Christ there's no longer Jew or Gentile, Chinese, Australian, Vietnamese, British, all are one in Jesus Christ. The wound of hostility between peoples and nations is healed in him. There's true worship of God. Verse 22. Why is there true worship of God? Because everything that has been accursed has been banished. It's a place of holiness, of purity, uh, of uh, where everyone there has been cleansed and there is this uh, free access and freedom of heart and mind to worship God. Not only is there worship of God, but there is intimacy with God. We have a face-to-face relationship with him. We know that we belong to him. His name is written on our foreheads, the sign of ownership. In the Roman world, if you were a slave, you you bore a tattoo or a brand that showed who you belonged to. In the New Jerusalem, we bear the mark that we belong to our Father. 
and no longer do we stumble in darkness. We no longer need to wonder what is true, what is right, what is the meaning of my life. But instead we walk in the light because this face-to-face relationship with God uh, means he is our light. This is what it means to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, these are the things that should define and shape who you are and how you live. The second implication I want to bring from this is that we are called to look at ourselves and to ask that question, am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ and so by faith you know that the Father has unhooked you from Adam and hooked you onto Christ? If so, God is calling you to view yourself as he views you in Christ. Know that you are justified and in the power of the Holy Spirit, live out your justification. Take hold of the victory that you have in him over sin and death. Live in the light and the life of joy that he's commissioned you to be a priest, a co-heir, an ambassador of Christ. Or... Are you still, by default, hooked onto Adam's belt where sin and death reign as your masters? Have you heard the gospel maybe many times but for whatever reason you've never entrusted yourself to Jesus and received the gift of eternal life that's in him? If so, God is calling you to repent and believe. We can never by our own efforts or good intentions unhook ourselves from Adam's belt and re-hook ourselves onto Christ. Repentance is simply saying to God, I'm a helpless prisoner of Adam. I'm bound and trapped in him. And unless you, God, unless you do something to rescue me, I will be helplessly lost forever. And faith is simply saying, I know that in Jesus Christ who died and rose for me, you've done all that is needed to be rescued from Adam. Please come and unhook me from Adam and join me with Christ that I may freely receive all that he's done for me.